Hello, bonjour, hello, hi, hey ya, and previet hockey fans. Welcome back to the Europuck Podcast, the show where two Brits talk all things European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Hayden, or Oddman Rush, as you can see up there, and joining me, of course, once again, if you weren't expecting him to be here at this point, you really haven't <laughs> paid attention for the last three months, it's of course Chris Gadsby. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not going well. I was about to say it's not going well. Then yeah, it's not going badly. Yeah, no, it it's absolutely is, uh, terrible, and the world is burning. <laughs> <laughs> but believe it, believe it or not, this week marks um, a year I've been in this house. Oh, congratulations! So, One year anniversary sure of, of, of the Gadsby that, household. That's to, technically it's tomorrow. Yeah, um, or, or Wednesday as this goes out. But yeah, I bet you can remember. You know, the two weeks where I had no internet, where you had to go on about the Boston Bruins on your own. Yes, I remember them very fondly, Chris, when we were doing our previous show on the network, Brits on Bruins. And yeah, it was like, oh, Chris said, oh, um, Hayden, by the way, I'm not going to be here for two weeks because I'm moving house. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, 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 that's fine. Um, And then I ended up sitting down and recording. I was like, oh, God, this is more difficult when it's just one of you sitting there, isn't it? It's difficult, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. There's there's, there's, uh, not one of us this week. In fact, there's not even going to be two of us. There's going to be three people this week. Do do you want to tease it, Chris? Go on. I'll give you the honours. Go on. Well, we've, we've, we've teased it bit on our social media channels so if you've been following us on social media you'll already know who our guest is uh, today probably i i would easily say that the most high profile guest we've had on yes. so far yes on on the euro put podcast we have a current player a former elite league player a Cardiff devils player now over with graz 99ers and team great britain current netminder one and only all british hockey fans We'll probably look at him with adoring eyes. It's <laughs> Mr. Ben Bounds is our guest this evening on the Europop podcast. And we've got so much to chat to him about. I've got to be completely honest, Chris. I've been excited about this like all day. I've been sitting here from like the yeah. moment I woke up and I was like, I'm going to get the chance to interview Ben Bounds later on today. And I'm going to get to talk to him and kind of get his opinions and his perspective on so many of Great Britain and the Elite League's fantastic moments over the last sort of five, six years. Obviously, he's now playing in Austria uh, with the Graz 99ers, so he's going to be an hour ahead of us, but he was very kindly offered to sit down with us. Maybe the fact that he's out with an injury at the moment gave him a bit of extra time, and uh, it was kind of like, oh, why not? Let's go on the Europuck podcast. Let's have a good time. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're very fortunate to have uh, uh, Ben Bounds come on the show uh, in a moment. We're actually going to go talk to him in about 15 minutes' time as we're recording this. So um, I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm super excited. Like, what wh- what are your thoughts yeah. when you when you hear you're going to get to interview Ben Bounds? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a strange one because see, in, in one of my freelance jobs, I, I just get to interview Panthers players at the end of each game. Yeah, uh, but kind of in that in that situation, it's all kind of very professional, of course, and the players are still kind of visibly sweating after mm. being on the ice. Yeah, and we're talking about that specific game. Um, so, but in this situation, obviously where it's much more relaxed and everything, it's, it's much more like a conversation, which is, which is still new to me. So whilst you're kind of talking to active hockey players it is kind of not really anything new to me. And, you know, I've spoken to, to Ollie, uh, yeah, Ollie Betteridge, Rob Lakovich, that sort of, uh, the player on the Panthers to speak to, to Ben Bounds. It is something else. And I've got several bones to pick with him about how, good his goaltending was after I'd walked 50 minutes in the rain at Cardiff to go and see them in the cold big blue tent to then 
for Cardiff to beat Nottingham like 7-2 and then me to walk 50 minutes back in the cold in winter. <laughs> but I mean, Chris, I, I think it's fair to say the Europuck podcast is also a very professional endeavour as well. Let's let's make that clear here, folks, that the Europuck podcast, very professional also. <laughs> we're not professional. We are professional, but we're not professional, if you know what we I are, mean. We are, but what, what I mean is uh, when, when I'm doing stuff for the BBC, oh, of course. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. formal, I'm the BBC, here's a microphone in your face. Oh, absolutely. We're just like two guys just chatting you know just like yeah, talking with exactly. with guys and i i feel like both both elements are so important to like getting the best out or getting the most out of players like getting that raw reaction from those guys that's so important but also like getting the chance to talk about the wider career of these players and kind of like he's very kindly like come on to talk to us on this show he didn't have to do that like oh yeah like he's, no, he, he was very no. much like oh yeah like i'd love to we dropped him a dm we slid into his, his dms you know and he was like <laughs> he was like yeah yeah why not like let me know when you want no, me on that's the difference as well because when when i'm speaking to players after a game I, I i speak to the coach and then i say yeah can i speak to this player and they kind of have to come out and talk to me yeah even if they've had like the worst game and they're really not happy whereas then we can just sit back have a laugh and uh yeah this should be a very good episode of the the euro puck podcast so uh sit back and enjoy this one absolutely and i mean the year 2020 what people need more of in this abysmal year is the chance to just sit back relax and have a little chat about better years gone by you know <laughs> so um yeah and yeah so enough rambling from us um let's play the interview that we have with ben bound so enjoy folks so as you can see chris and i are joined by a very special guest here on the europuck podcast this week we've obviously mentioned who he is in our intro and i've got to be honest chris and i are fanboying here a little bit to be perfectly honest <laughs> we have the one the only ben bounds ben hello how are you and not too bad thanks how are you guys yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, not too bad. good. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, how I'm doing are, great. How are you? <laughs> how are you? How are you settling into uh, new life on the continent? No, it's been good. It's definitely an experience, uh, a bit of a life experience. But um, would be nice if I if I was still playing. But uh, mm. it is what it is. Um, obviously, Corona's kind of made it a bit more of a watered down version of the European experience. But it's just uh, it's nice to have a job and still. Um, She'll have a chance to come back and play hopefully this year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was going to ask, obviously, you're all out there in Austria now. You dealt with a bit of a rough injury to start the year. I thought the the kind of first big question we should ask you is, like, how's your recovery going? Because I'm sure there's a lot of Devils fans back home that are wanting to know that Ben Bounds is okay. So let us know how you're doing at the moment, Ben. Well, it, it's going all right. I mean, uh, tomorrow's a big day because it's um, eight weeks since I did it. Uh, so it's going to have a, all its stress test tomorrow and that's when I should find out whether I, I need surgery on it hopefully unless something's got lost in transit, translation last time or there but you know, as, as far as I know I should find out tomorrow exactly what's uh, going to go on and it's either really good news or, or not so great news for me but um, no I'm feeling pretty positive about it I can do a lot of things on on that knee that I've, in my opinion if I needed surgery I wouldn't be able to do so um, it seems pretty stable it seems to heal uh, pretty pretty well and it, it feels strong at the minute it's, it's still not quite the same as my other leg but my knee's still locked at 90 degrees so I can't get that full range of motion in here but um, yeah once that brace has changed to full range tomorrow and then uh, the plan is the, the, to lose the brace on the 2nd of December and, and then we'll go from there but obviously things could change tomorrow either way In a in kind of the best case scenario do you have any kind of time scale for getting back on the ice and suiting up? 
No, it'd be nice to um, to say I've got, I've got a timescale or an idea. Um, it'd definitely be better for my uh, mental state knowing if I had a, a timescale. But no, it's one of those injuries where, especially as a goaltender with the positions we have to get in, um, I don't want to come back unless I'm like 200% certain that everything's fine and I'm confident. I don't want to come back and have to wear a brace because I can't really... Well, I know goalies that do wear braces, uh, but I don't want to be wearing a brace. I don't want to rely on a brace. I want my leg as it should be. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to come back and, and get injured straight away or be in a position where I'm in that net thinking, oh, crap, is it going to give way? Can I get down into this position comfortably and, and end up uh, not putting everything into a save and obviously conceding more than what I should be? So it, it's, it's both ways. But yeah, I mean, it would be nice to come back before the end of the regular season and, and into the pick round in the playoffs here. Because obviously you're not just thinking about the end of this season, you're thinking about your career several years down the line, obviously. So you're, you're, I would imagine, uh, given the situation that you're in and kind of going through the rehab and, and looking at your different options, you're thinking about the long term and not just as a player, but your health in general, right? Yeah, no, 100%. Because obviously uh, you, you only get one career. You don't want to mm. make it any shorter than what it already is. Um, the big thing, obviously, short term, in, in terms of this season, obviously, I, I didn't have the best of pre-seasons. Uh, a lot of adjusting, a lot of new little additions to my game that took a little bit of time. And then the old habits fight with your new habits and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag pre-season. But then the three games, well, the, the two games in half a period that I played in the actual season went pretty well. Uh, and it felt like I were building. So, I mean, the short term, it'd just be nice to obviously make an appearance again this year. And because I'd, I, I would like to be back here, um, that's pretty well known. Um, but I'd just like that to be in, in my hands, basically. I don't want to end up not coming back uh, because you're injured. You, you want to, if, if they're not going to have me back, it, I want to at least have a say in it, not, mm. um, not, not, not lose this opportunity because of some stupid injury that obviously is, is pretty unfortunate. But at the same time, um, it, it'll do me a lot of good just to come back and then be able to say, well, do you want me back or not? Yeah. I mean, you, as I said, you've had time off. We've got our first uh, fan question from, from Banners on the Wall, who says, have you managed to get addicted to mana wafers yet? Definitely. Do you say wafers? Yeah, mana wafers. <laughs> no idea. No idea what, they are. <laughs> or what that is. <laughs> right, that that'll be a no then. <laughs> I mean, add it onto the list. Add it onto the list. Why not? Um, so uh, the, the 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 next kind of big question I have for you, and you've obviously mentioned it when you announced that you were moving to um, to Austria to go and join the Graz 99ers. But I, I think a big question um, a lot of, especially Cardiff Devils fans, might be thinking is uh, why did you choose to go to Graz specifically? Um, Obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty at the time as to whether um, the Elite League would be playing, and obviously they're still not at the moment. So in the grand scheme of things, it was probably the right decision if you wanted to keep playing for this season. But um, what what kind of led you to choose uh, the Graz 99ers as the team you wanted to play for for the 2021 season? Well, the, if you go back a few years even, I mean, uh, there's, there's been quite a lot of interest from the from the Ebbles. It was obviously now it's the uh, ICHL. Mm. Um so I've been in contact with quite a few teams over the last few years in this league, and it's a league that I obviously wanted to uh, that, well, that I targeted myself um, as one of my targets to get to, and I thought it was a good stepping stone. It's one of the better ones in Europe, and it, it's a good it puts you right in a good spot in the middle of Europe to um, obviously progress to the other leagues. Everyone's close when you're when you actually get into Europe. Um, there are a few 
things from the DEL last year. Um, the year before that, there were an opportunity that was close, thinking the NLA, which would have been ridiculous. Um, but no, I think what people don't realise in Britain that because the UK team signed players after the season's finished, they don't realise that in Europe they actually signed the players December, January, February time. Uh, so I'd actually sign with Graz uh, like the end of February, early March time, which made the end of the season even more good. And obviously, when you've been somewhere for that long and you've we've won what we've had and achieved what we've achieved, um, I wanted to go out with a bit of a bang. I wanted to win, well, basically go out a grand slam in the last game we played <laughs> with a Challenge Cup final, which didn't exactly go very well for us. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare. But uh, it, I'm pretty certain we would have won that league within a week or so uh, without all the games were going now we were playing. Uh, so it's even more got into obviously end my career so far today in in Cardiff and in the elite league in that in that way. But um, as for grass, I mean, we we had the experience here in the CHL. The rink's amazing. Uh, you knew the setup was was awesome as well. I uh, got a friend, good friend here, the the trainer, the kit guy, um, David Owen or Dees, as people know him as. Uh, so obviously, I stayed in contact with him, and it, it helps when someone can vouch for you as well. Um, the, the coaches here do the research and ask other players that. They know that you've played with and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously just having Deist on the ground in Graz, I'm sure was was a big help um, for me and for them uh, to obviously get get some uh, informed as a person as well as a goalie. I mean, all they, they've played against me and they've watched me. They'll know exactly what I'm like um, talent-wise, but not so much personality-wise. So I think that was a big help. And uh, yeah, when, when they made the, the offer, it was pretty much a no-brainer. So before a few tweaks in the contract either way, um, but, but nothing major, really. It was pretty straightforward once I sent the first offer, uh, apart from spelling my name wrong. They give me a Browns rather than Bounds, but that's what everyone does. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a great setup here. It's a, it's a really, it's an awesome city, to be fair. It's one of my favourite cities I've ever been to, especially now that we're getting to live here and explore it a bit more. It's, it's absolutely awesome. Um, but yeah, so so once they come in with that offer, it's a bit of a no-brainer. And uh, I, I said to one of the guys once before, when when I moved to Europe, I, I expected to be a bit more of a lower league or a lower end team. And when um, a team in a club like Graz approaches you to play in a league like this or a club like this, uh, it's it's pretty much a no-brainer. You, you'd be stupid to turn it down, really. Yeah, and the team doing very well so far this season. Yeah. Um, Ever since they got injured. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so go right back to the start. How did you decide to become a netminder? Um, well, it's, uh, people have heard me say this a million times now, but the first game I ever watched was Steelers-Devils. And right from that game, I don't know what it was, I don't know if it was uh, the kit, the mass, I don't really know. Uh, just always wanted to be a goalie and my parents thought it'd be a bit of a fad like kids go through and maybe in six weeks I'd give it up and back then there wasn't any tiered goalie equipment it was you, you bought basically what the pros were pretty much whether you were five six seven eight or, or 25 26 27 28 so it were all the same price and everything so uh, yeah they bought me a player's kit and I can remember my grandma um used to have a picture on the wall that said spring 97 I was out of school as a player and Summer 97, I was, I was as a goalie. So I can remember them taking me house leagues and I used to end up in front of the goalie making saves or behind him trying to clear stuff up at line. So <laughs> I think my parents just thought, well, if he's going to do it in players, keep we might as well uh, buy him the proper stuff so he's protected. Interesting. Um, so talk about your time in the Elite League. Obviously, you've been, you were in the Elite League for a very long time. You started with 
where you, you saw your ice time uh, kind of grow with Hull before you then obviously moved to Cardiff. What are the the kind of big memories you have when, obviously it's not that long ago that you left the Elite League, but you know now you're in a different place. You kind of have the chance to reflect on your Elite League career. What are the kind of things that jump out to you as, as memories that really make you th- think of the Elite League fondly? I think uh, my, my very first memory that always sticks out to mind is um, we, it was actually when I was playing for the Scimitars in the EPL. Um, my first year in the EPL, we, I was playing for GB20s against the Scimitars. And I can remember Matty Davis and Craig Mitchell back then say, telling me that the um, that, Sil- that Sylvan, that, so the Clutes, and uh, I think it was Katie Suffield were coming to watch me that game. Uh, I think they were struggling that year and they'd heard about me and stuff like that. And I like, oh, shut up. That, <laughs> Not real. And then I can remember coming out for the game and seeing them uh, sat to my left in the Stingrays jacket thinking, oh, crap. Like, they were being serious here. So <laughs> I think that's that's the first thing, the, the fact that Clutes obviously put that time to, to come to Sheffield on a, on a winter's night just to watch an under-20s game against the Simitas. Um, So that's my very first one. And, yeah, I mean, I was training with them for the next two and a half years, uh, travelling back and forth from all before getting that full-time contract. Uh, I can remember... We actually backed up in Cardiff. It's weird how everything seems to fall back to Cardiff. Obviously, the first game I watched, and then uh, the first game I backed up for Hull was in Cardiff, um, I believe. And we're, we're actually walking into McDonald's after the game. And I think they won in the shootout. Um, and Clutes and Bobby McEwen spoke to me then and said, what are your plans for next year? Because we'd, we'd like to have you at, at Hull, obviously. And uh, it was in talks for Bobby to take over already. Uh, I think they had they had that planned or something along those lines. So um, yeah, that's that's probably my second. Kind of, it's, it's weird, but it but it's a fond memory. Just obviously, you get that excitement and everything. I can remember meeting Clutes at a coffee shop the day after a playoff game, just after we qualified for playoff finals with Sheffield. Uh, drove to Hull to to see him, and we sorted out all the stuff there. So that it was just kind of weird how it all happened. But uh, no, I mean Hull Hull was awesome. Uh, it gave me a lot of ice time, a lot of. A lot of wake-up calls, put it that way, especially at the start of the second year. I think the first year you kind of get that leeway of uh, always new, is young, is, is not quite experienced, is going to grow into it. And, and I did. I mean, um, I can remember I started off pretty well. Um, obviously, you guys being Panthers fans, I think my first shot were actually David Clark breakaway. Um, <laughs> but actually, if you, if you want some Panthers stuff in there, I mean, the, the first game I actually got on the ice for the league was against Nottingham in Nottingham Ball. I think I got the last five minutes. I think my first shot there was... Uh, a breakaway again so I can't remember who it was so yeah and then, and then the first proper game was against the Panthers so um, yeah it started off okay and then I had a, a pretty big dip that first year obviously that's when that learning curve hits you and started coming back up finished the year strong um, probably went into the second year a bit too lazy and obviously young and naive and it got started off really bad and it got to a point where I actually thought I'd, I would get fired and released by all um, and yeah, talk to talk to Clutes about it. I, I think it was probably worse in my head than it actually was, but it still wasn't a good situation. Uh, it, it's always worse in your head than it ever is in reality. Um, but yeah, I can remember talking to him, and from that point, it it just kind of took off from there. You, it, that's where it clicked. Where you need to start putting more work in. You know, need to start working harder. It's, you can't just rest on your laurels. Um, and the that season, we we had such a good team for all. I think we broke like the franchise record for points or something stupid like that. Um, we we had a ton of wins. I mean, but then it was a weird season because I think we came eighth on fifty percent and like point five hundred uh, points percentage. So um, we just scraped in. It was between us, Coventry, Cardiff. I think for that eighth place, and we managed to knock Cardiff out. Um, 
I think we had to beat Sheffield on the last day of the season. I can remember that, and the atmosphere in in Hull was crazy. I mean, they didn't have the biggest fan base, but they were so passionate, so loud, and uh, everyone takes a mess out of the the whole arena. But when the atmosphere got going there, I mean, it, it was crazy. So yeah, there's a lot of fond memories at Hull, a lot of good people, and then yeah, moving on to Cardiff. I mean, what can you say? It's it, it's been six years again, though. In the in the first year, a lot of learning curves. Where that was the opposite ways of working hard, but maybe not working smart and um, maybe letting things get to me more than um, than what I should. Uh, I mean, it's a big jump up. It's a, it's a storied franchise. It's 30 odd years old now. And they, they had a lot of success in the past. Obviously, they come out of the, the dark times a few years um, before, I, before I signed. Um, but yeah, it maybe put a bit too much pressure on me and... and uh, that did probably affect my performance at one point, but once I got over that hurdle again, it's obviously, we, thank God for that, we, we've not looked back. Um, and obviously they put the the time and the money into me sending me out to Calgary in the summers, which was a huge, huge uh, thing for me. Uh, Dan Brabham there, come on as a goalie coach, uh, in contact with him like 24-7, pretty much all, all the time in Cardiff. And we've, we've become pretty close friends. And then it evolved into having Moody there as well, who's my best friend. So um, yeah, I mean, the whole situation in Cardiff just, just uh, went from good to, to even better, like day by day, pretty much. How do you, as a netminder, I spent time as a, as a football goalkeeper. If an outfield player makes a mistake, somebody can pick up the pieces. If you make a mistake, the chances are you've conceded a goal. So how do you keep yourself switched on, particularly in games where, like Cardiff, for example, have dominated possession, you don't face that many shots? It's it's an hard one. I think that's what people don't understand. It's actually sometimes easier to have fifty odd shots in a game because you don't get to uh, don't get to switch off. Um, but at the same time, that's, I kind of like it. That's why I kind of like the hockey out here because it's just uh, it's just end to end all the time uh, in your zone. It's east west. They'll put it on your net. Uh, they'll 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 just pass it around. It's shots redirection. Same when you play all the SHL teams in the CHL, the World Championships. It's it's a different style. I think it's a bit more fluid, a bit more a bit faster. So. Even when you're not having the shots in these leagues, you're, you kind of switched on because you're constantly moving. But um, yeah, back in Cardiff, it was a little bit harder. There'd be times when we dominate in teams and they just uh, they just sink five guys in front of their own net and then counting, you'd end up with a breakaway or uh, two on one. I can remember one game last year we played, I think it was Dundee, and you had um, eight, I think it was eight break, uh, breakaways and partial breakaways on me uh, within the first two periods. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it, it gets to you in the end, honestly. But um, yeah. No, I mean, when you're a goalie, your job's to try and give your team a chance to win. You're not going to win a game for a team because you can't, well, I mean, you can score, but you'd have to have a ridiculous shot. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you can't win games for your teams. You can you can uh, make the big saves that give them a chance, but you can never fully win. You have to kind of understand that. Um, there's a lot of young goalies out there that think that they can win games single-handedly, and that's not the case in when you really, truly sit and look at it, you if, if a team wants to win, they have to have a great goalie. But at the same time, you need a great team in front of you to, to do that job and put the puck in the oven net. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when it comes to them dominating or them making mistakes, people don't know it. I get that. And obviously, when we make a mistake, there's a big red light goes on. It's been said a million times before. There's a big red light goes on and thousands of people either cheer or, or boo you. I mean, it, it goes either way. It depends where you're playing, doesn't it? But, um no, it just, I have, uh, you learn to deal with it in different ways. I have mental resets um, and different focus points throughout the game. You learn to switch off in between whistles, which sounds daft because sometimes they're dead short, sometimes they're a bit longer. Uh, here, you also have the TV timeouts, which give you a chance to just 
reset and refocus, get some of the sweat out of my sweatband because you just sweat so much. Um, but yeah, there's, it's all different techniques and you learn it with experience. It's, it's, it's kind of being a, being a goalie. I mean, I'm, I've never been a goalie myself, but I can very much imagine based on the fan responses, whether it be from football goalies or, or hockey goalies, whether it be in the elite league or the NHL, it's either if they're hot and they're playing really well, fans absolutely adore them and they're the best player to have ever played in the league ever. But when they're having a rough stretch of a couple of weeks, it's kind of like, oh, let's trade him, get rid of him. He's, he's not a good player. Like, like, I, I guess this is a question, this might be more specific to you because obviously everybody handles things differently, but how much do you potentially pay attention to kind of the fan responses after games? Uh, when we were younger, uh, that's one of the problems I had when I first went to Cardiff. Um, you're in a bit more, you know, a lot bigger spotlight than what I was at all. And you, you see it all and, and you let it get to you a little bit, but that's just an experience and then you learn to deal with it. I think the hardest bit for me with the social media and what fans don't realise is when they're really getting in at you, it's not you that it affects, it's your family. Yeah. Um, obviously your parents and that, it's, it's pretty bad. I know my mum was pretty bad for it. Um, she probably still is, but I make sure I don't talk to her about it now. <laughs> um, something else you learn growing up. But no, I mean, that's what they don't see. It's your family that have to deal with all the, the crap that's been thrown at you, basically. Um, I had to watch what I said there and make sure I didn't swear. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the crap that's thrown at you and they obviously see that and they deal with it differently to you. Whereas for me, it's just a guess, well, there's a reason why that person's paying to watch me play and isn't on the ice coaching me or isn't on the ice playing against me. Uh, I care about so, certain people's opinions, but not necessarily some random fan who's, who's giving me abuse for letting a goal in. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Whereas obviously the, the hardest bit is obviously just seeing your family have to, have to go through that. But again, it's something that they learn and they have to get used to. And unfortunately, these days it's, it's part and parcel of the job. And I think it, it's such a tricky situation, especially in the elite league, um, because stuff like Twitter is so big over there. Social media is huge for the clubs. They want you on there, but they also don't want you to be affected by it. So it's kind of a catch-22. You, you're going to see it all, but then you have to kind of just learn to learn to ignore it. Whereas here, the social media side of things aren't quite as big. Um, that I think they're bigger on maybe Facebook and Instagram than Twitter. So you, you don't necessarily see it a lot. I mean, I rarely use Facebook now, apart from to promote uh, stuff. And yeah, and Instagram is it's a nicer place than Twitter, really. So it's it's always easy for people to say stuff when they're behind the phone or behind the keyboard. Whereas to your face, they're, they're probably not going to say that. So once you learn that and you get that through your head, it, it's a lot easier to take. Yeah, I know that. Um, there's some players that like really thrive off it. And when the opposition fans are all chanting, it's like, it's all your fault. And there's some, there's some <laughs> netminders that really thrive off that. But when I was at Cardiff for three years at university, I'd come whenever the Panthers were away in the, in the big blue tent and then later the, the arena. And it was always like coming up against a brick wall. You knew that you could only afford to let kind of like two or three goals in because you just... Was it kind of, did you enjoy being like the pain in the backside of all the other teams in the elite league? <laughs> Probably my favourite bit, actually. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm a Brit, so I'm not supposed to be very good. Um, and and that's, that's for another, that's another debate though. But um, yeah, no, it's one of my favourite things, obviously going to away games. And I mean, I always say to people, especially the young goals that ask me about, well, how does it feel when you're getting booed or when people are giving you abuse? Uh, and that's, it's actually one of my favorite things because if they're, I always said to him, like, if, if they're giving you abuse, you're doing something right. Um, do you know mm. what I mean? So if they don't like you, it's, you, you're probably doing something right. 
Um, obviously, there's times when you're just being an idiot, and, and that's why they don't like you. But <laughs> I don't think that's happened Touchwood too many times in my um, in my career so far. I can remember one occasion that they, they got, but that turned out pretty fun actually in the end because we were up in Glasgow. Um, pretty memorable game for me that actually. But uh, but but yeah, I think when you um, when the away fans are giving it you, or the if you're if you're playing away and the home fans are giving it you, then yeah, I usually actually quite enjoy it. There's there's some comments that you think oh. That's a bit close to close to the bone there, but <laughs> I hope there's not too many kids around who wouldn't have said that. Uh, but then there's some you, you just you just laugh at them mainly, and usually this it's usually someone giving you a few gestures, so you should take my mask off and just give them a little smile or or whatever yeah. while I'm having a drink. So it's it's always fun <laughs> to see their reaction once they see that you're just laughing at them. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you're not supposed to be uh, their favourite player because you're the one stopping all the shots yeah. that their team are trying to score. So, so why not? But um, speaking of of away games and kind of the experience of playing in other rinks, uh, especially during your time in the Champions Hockey League, because obviously you've been with Cardiff playing in the Champions Hockey League for several years now. Um, you've obviously had the chance to go to some of the best rinks in Europe, whether it be you know Sweden, Austria, with uh, going to Graz, like you mentioned. What what are kind of the how obviously there's a huge step up with some of these teams compared to the elite league and you mentioned earlier how you know you have to kind of have your head on a swivel the entire night you know you're going to be in for a bit of a rough ride because you're playing against some of the best players on this side of of, of the world but but kind of what are some of the the memorable moments for you uh, within the Champions Soccer League because we have a lot of fans across Europe that. Um, we have Swiss fans and, and Swedish fans. We have people that pay attention to the, the Champions Hockey League and it's kind of a big tournament they like to follow. And we're kind of obviously seen as like that underdog country in the Champions Hockey League that, yeah, we had Nottingham go to the knockout stages once, but we're, we've, never ne- we've never necessarily been one of those nations that, you know, we, we're always competing for the championship. Obviously, Fralunda wins it practically every single year. So, you know, if you're going up against them, it's going to be a bit of a rough ride. So, so what, what's, what's kind of... Yeah, so, so what's kind of your experience with the Champions Hockey League? Was it, did you find that the more you played in it, the more comfortable you got? Did you find that it helped you get your position and kind of feel more comfortable now that you've shifted over to Austria because you've played a little bit against some of those teams? I think it was definitely huge for me. Um, once you get to play at an international level, that, that's not just the World Championships. Um, but I think one of the most exciting things for the CHL and the Elite League is just seeing how much the teams have come on in the Elite. Um, I remember watching the first year that Panthers were ever in it and um, some of the results didn't quite go the way that obviously they wanted, but um, you, you kind of just wanted them to do well, even even though they, they're your enemies during the season. You want them to do well, you want them to represent Britain and I think the next two years after that was Sheffield. Uh, you're always looking, yeah, can, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. But uh, but no, I mean, but then you actually get to the CHL and you realise the level that it's at. Um, I can remember the first game we ever played was in Davos. So obviously playing in that arena, um, they, they didn't have a full stadium as they weren't at that point of playing an elite league team there, but they still had all the, the fans uh, sat behind me making some noise. Our fans were going crazy on the other end and, you know, we I think we ended up losing about 10-1 that game. We I think we flew in late, and I think the whole kind of organisation maybe miss uh, maybe underestimated it a little bit. I mean, we 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 got there pretty late on the night before. It's at altitude, obviously, Cardiff's right at sea level, and you could see. Um, I mean, right, right in the pregame, uh, the pregame skate in the morning. Actually, I can remember doing some movement at the end of practice. And, God, why do I feel so tired? And then it went until after when it suddenly clicked. Oh, we're at altitude. There's there's no wonder that we felt like that. And um, 
we played in Liberec a few days later and we were, we were way better. But, uh, and then we ended up beating Davos in Cardiff. But I think like the results, like the, the year that Nottingham went through, you, you switch back to that first year Nottingham was in, there's no way in, in there's no way in hell basically that mm. Nottingham are going to get, get through yeah. with, with that level of players and that caliber. And then what was it, four years later, something like that, three or four years later, all of a sudden they've, they've topped the group and they've mm. gone through. And then last year, I mean, we were in a group with Frilunda, Mountfield, Graz and, and us. And we were top of the group until we played for London twice. I mean, if, if the London had won the first two games like they should have, <laughs> we would have been out of that group straight away. But obviously things just didn't go our way. And I can remember um, winning the game in Graz and finishing the the first four games at the top of the table and people think, oh, we got a chance here. And you kind of look and think, oh, yeah, but for London need two wins to kind of get through as well. So, yeah, it went, those games went okay for the first two periods. And then I think they, they just took over then. I think our, they, they were fitter, they were more skilled, they were faster, obviously, and yeah, it just the, the third piece just, just went good for us. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, when we came up against Frilunda and it was with two, nine, two losses in the end, and they, when they, when they turn it up to that level, when they, when they need the results, it's just, uh, you know, so difficult to, to stop them from scoring. But uh, one of the questions that we had, and a fan question as well, who's the best player that you think you've faced? Were there any players that, you know, they'd be coming at you maybe on a breakaway, half breakaway, and you thought, this is going to be a difficult puck to stop? Um, I don't know, because, you know, all the all the players are so different. It's, it's kind of like goaltender. We know one goaltender is the same. They all bring different things. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's different kind of shot techniques. There's, people have different releases. They can disguise stuff better and, but then someone else might not disguise it as well, but their shot's more accurate or harder. And it's it's a weird one. But I mean, one of them that sticks out is obviously uh, Patrick Kane at the World Championships because he, he, you never knew whether he was going to pass or, or shoot. So it was just a case of holding my ground as much as I could be getting ready to load one leg in and just fly across. Um, I've setting up uh, Jack Eichel for quite a few one-timers on that power play. Um but yeah, there's people like that. And obviously then you play against Canada and you got like Mark Stone and people. And again, they're a totally different game, but they're just as effective sometimes. So um, yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, uh, one thing that does stick in my mind is when we played Slovakia for the first time. So in the, in the pre, uh, pre-tournament game in Poprad, um, I can remember Kiefer going through some penalty shots. So they must've known that we we're having penalty shots at the end of it. Um, and he showed me uh, Thomas Tatar's move. And the, the guy actually pulled this ex- exact same move and I managed to to get a piece of it. So that's one thing that did stick out for me that even though I knew it was coming, it was still, I, I could keep up with it, got a piece of it and, and poked it away from him. And then he tried to, uh, tried shooting the second one, actually, which luckily I saved. But I'm thinking those reps <laughs> might have given it him. But, um, but no, that, that kind of sticks in that you know it's coming. Um, but it's still... So good that it was it was hiding it till the last minute and in my head I'm thinking, oh, is it actually gonna come? Is it, is it gonna do something totally different here and just put it between my legs or something? So uh yeah, it's, I can't really pick out one player that's that's better than all the others, but um there's been a hell of a, a lot of good players that we've come up against. I I certainly wanna go into talking about your experience with Team Great Britain, especially over the the last couple of years. Um but but before we kind of delve into that a little bit deeper, how does it feel it, does it register with you in a way that it kind of does for fans when, you know, obviously you, uh, the, the 2019 tournament you went and played against some of, if not the best hockey players on the entire planet. 
um, NHL superstars, not just international superstars. When you recount this story, like you're just saying the name Jack Eichel and Patrick Kane and Thomas Tatar and Mark Stone so casually as if like that's just, you know, like, oh, you know, that's just part of the business, you know? But like, did you kind of have that moment where you were thinking, oh my goodness, like I'm playing against some of the best players on the planet right now? Um, not right at the time. I think um, <laughs> I'm, I'm more into the goalies in the players because I'm just a bit of a goalie geek. <laughs> but uh, I can remember in the Canada game, at the end of the game, obviously you, you all peed off because you've, you've just lost. I think you, you end up losing like 8 or 9 nil or whatever it were. Um, and I can remember looking across and seeing Murray's name on there and just in, and realising obviously that, that guy's won two Stanley Cups. Uh, they were played, and then you're like, "Well, I've just played against Carter Hart, who is a lot younger than me." And you think that, in theory, older people should be like, "Oh, he's, he's younger. Just who cares? Like, don't need to think about him." But then you're like, "Well, it's such a good goal. He's, he's turning that that franchise around." Um, yeah, and that's when it probably clicked for the first time ever. But then again, it wasn't until um, after the Worlds when you kind of went home and we realized exactly what we'd done and what we'd achieved. Um, that then it did it did start sinking in the players that you've been playing against. But when to be fair, it's just a case. It sounds a bit nonchalant, but it's and not as exciting as what people probably want to hear. But then it's, it's your job, and you you put on the ice to play against whoever's against you, whether that's someone from the ENL or someone from the NHL or NIHL to the NHL. Uh, that probably sounds <laughs> a bit better. Uh, you know what I mean? Like whether you're playing Swindon or Steel Dogs, or you're playing Team USA or like Team Canada, it don't matter. You, you, you're put on there to do your best. You're put on there to try and win. And, and that's what you do. It don't matter who you're against. Obviously, you're aware of these players. You're aware of the, their attendances and, and where the shoe or the players that they, that they usually set up. Uh, but, but that's about as far as it goes, really. It's, they're, they're just another player that I want to stop at the end of the day. Yeah, and you've, you've certainly done uh, plenty of that. You've made some fantastic saves. I would just send everyone going crazy in in, in your to, in your times where do you think the great britain in the in the top tier again for for another year you you've achieved a lot in your career where do you kind of want gb to go can you, are you still kind of pushing and, and and dreaming that maybe you'll get into an olympic games that'd be awesome to be fair um for gb right now though it's just a case of staying up we've got one hell of a challenge on our uh, on our hands if the world's go ahead i'm, I'm pretty confident that the world um, especially with the under-20s um, men's going ahead so I'd like to see that but I mean we've got a tough chance I mean some of the guys might not have played a lot of hockey this year uh, and we've got to go in and we've, we've got to stay up at the top tier of the world again and, and Belarus are a totally different beast to, to France uh, a completely different style of hockey more of a Russian style and something that GB maybe have struggled with when we've come up against the likes of Kazakhstan and, and teams like that in the past so um, that's going to be the biggest challenge and that's that's going to be our, our main goal right now and I think that should be our main goal right now anyway obviously I've not spoke to the team or, or Peter or anyone <laughs> right, like, for quite a while but yeah it's um, I think our aim should be to stay up for another year and, and aim to be at that top level of the world hockey for, for quite a long time I mean obviously it would have been nice to have gone through the uh, gone through to the next round of the Olympic qualifiers and pushed on from there but we still would have had one hell of a task just to get there because I think we had like Latvia and someone else in our group and it could have been done but unfortunately it, it just didn't happen for us that, that um, week in Nottingham so yeah I mean we'll, we'll move on it would be amazing to play in the Olympics but my focus would be to stay in that top tier of the uh, world championships for as long as we can and prove that it wasn't just a one-off. 
so Ben, obviously we've started talking about the World Championships and Great Britain's run during the 2019 tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, obviously, you've been a part of the Team GB program for the last few years now. And when you first got to the to the national program, when you first started suiting up in games for the team, the the GB national team were a long way away from being in the top flight of um, of uh, international hockey. So, kind of take us through how it like that journey that both you and the team took over these over those years. Obviously, um, uh, the coaching staff that came in and the players that have been a part of the roster for the last sort of four or five years, they've kind of been a, a group that stayed together and gone through the hardships of losing those those last uh, day games or, to win either the gold or, or silver medal. And you've obviously been together through the triumphs that you guys have had over the last couple of years. So what has that experience been like being with pretty much the same group of guys year in, year out and going from the the struggles that you had to being in the top flight of the competition? Well, I think to be fair, my first year in, uh, it, it's kind of weird because the, my first year in the, in this actual squad, um, I went as a, the emergency goalie was Paul Thompson and Rob Wilson's last year as the coaches. And the team was only about seven minutes away from actually getting promotion to the top tier. Uh, I think I, I think Kazakhstan had to draw or beat uh, Ukraine in the last game. And Ukraine were up until seven minutes left. And I can remember us all being sat there. And I can remember going back into the room after and a couple of guys like in tears and stuff um, about it. Cause, and thinking, well, we're going to get to do this every year. So why? Like, don't be so upset. Uh, obviously, a bit young, you don't really understand it. Um, and then obviously Tom o, Tom o and Rob Wilson left. Um, the new obviously regime come in, and it just it just didn't work out unfortunately. And I think we took quite a few steps back as a as a program. It took us a while to get to find our feet again. Um, I think the signs were there. It was it was my first tournament where I kind of took over. I think Murph was ill. Um, didn't have the best first games, and I came into relieving. Then after then played the rest of the games. And it was the last game in that tournament. Uh, Poland had already got, it was in Lithuania, actually, Vilnius. Um, Poland had already got promotion. We played them and the system seemed to kick in and we just dominated them. I think we beat them 3-2 or 2-1 or something like that. Um, and I think that's where it kind of started clicking again, like, hang on a minute, like, we're, we're back on track. We're going to get back on track. And then Pete came in as a head coach. Uh, we we lost in the last uh, the last game to Lithuania. Uh, we lost the year after we lost in the last game to Ukraine and obviously there a bit of a heartbreak but again it's learning curve and I think that if we'd have gone up the, the positive spin on that looking back now is if we'd have gone up either of those two years then I don't think we'd have stayed up we, we weren't anywhere near the level that we needed to be in I think we were too good for Division 1B uh, we, we'd outgrown that we shouldn't have been in there anymore but uh, we weren't really at a level to to get through Division 1A we would have been on the cusp of coming straight back down again and back in that spot and then I think you would have seen a turnover of players and um, maybe players get pushed out that shouldn't have been pushed out, but maybe they start rebuilding a younger team or something. And luckily for us, we we, we had the year in Belfast. Uh, we ground that out and uh, I think we just dominated that. Um, then obviously we go to Hungary and obviously everyone knows what happens there and obviously the, the fairy tale or whatever you want to call it there with farms and his, his horrible shot from that off wall. And, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean that that tournament were amazing. That's one of my best ever memories. And then to then go to the to Slovakia last year, that was just uh, sorry the year before now. Um, that that was just absolutely amazing. And the experience, the atmosphere, the the magnitude of what what we achieved as as a team uh, for the nation, it's it's just crazy. Uh, and that's I think when we're talking about players who have played against, and obviously seeing those big names, I think that's when you realise 
as, as a kid growing up, you always um, you have those dreams of like playing in the world championship, uh, playing in the NHL and playing in the world championships and stuff like that. But as you get older, you, you, you suddenly realize one, you're British and you're not going to play at NHL, two, you're not going <laughs> to play at NHL. Um, and then three, you just think, well, maybe GB's never going to be there. We're, we're supposed to be a Division 1B team if you, if you listen to people, or we should even be lower if you listen to certain fans in Elite League and, and around the world. But um, then all of a sudden, we're playing in Division 1A, we're playing against Canada, we're playing against USA, we're playing against Finland, and you're playing against these drafts, prospects, these NHLs that are in the millions, and you end up staying up and doing something that's not been done, I think it was in 50, or 51 years or something like that. So, um, I mean, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I, I don't know how true it is. I'm pretty certain that we were the only ever team to get um, Division 1B gold, Division 1A gold, and then to top that off, we then stay in Pool A. And, and you just think, well, that's that's history right there. And when is when is that really going to be beaten again or, or broken again by mm-hmm. by any team or especially GB? So, um, yeah, to, for the going back to like my first year to to see how close they got and seeing the guys in that state to then stick with probably ninety percent of those guys or eighty percent of those guys, or whatever it is, to do what we did. That's it's pretty pretty special to be fair. I was going to ask you about that fairy tale game because. It had been a long, hard uh, tournament and like the goal went in and you could hear even on the commentary, Aaron Murphy was almost welling up. What was it like actually being a part of it? Is that the France game or the Hungary game? The, 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 <laughs> the, 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 the Hungary game right at the end. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the weirdest thing was that I was on the bench and um, you celebrate like, you, you go crazy and think, God, we've done it. And then all of a sudden, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, crap. Obviously, weren't that polite, but you think, oh crap, we've got 15.8 <laughs> seconds left of what it is, and whatever it were, they pulled the goal and shit. And you're thinking, oh my god, like you got to calm yourself back down here. And uh, they had the shot where the guy kind of muffined it a little bit, and it flew over the top. Their their crowd thought it'd gone in. Obviously, it landed on the back of the net, and it, it was still pretty close call. So yeah, it's and then even off the, the final face off, I mean, um, just before that, Laco beats out the ice, and then they still give the ice and. Uh, it, it was crazy. I mean, I didn't actually realise at the time. Um, you were just too into it and too focused. But watching it back, you're thinking like, what were those refs doing? I mean, were they trying to trying to scam us out of a gold medal? <laughs> or hungry up. But no, you, you look at that, and then even off that face, off to get a little shot through it. Um, then how the guys come on and celebrate the trick in the helmets, and we've still got overtime to play. So guys didn't want to jump on and celebrate. So half the guys stayed. Half the guys were off over the boards. Half the guys, uh, some of the guys were on the on the ice with the helmets off and everyone just, just going crazy. So uh, it's probably the weirdest, but most fun OT and uh, penalty shots I've ever played. There were no pressure. So I think I chucked about three pad stacks out in, in that um, OT period, which um, Dan back in Cardiff probably wouldn't have liked, but it, it's fun at the end of the day. And I would have never have done anything like that in um, in an OT game. All of saying that, um, I threw a pad stack out in the French uh, OT, but that was for different reasons. So uh, Whereas if any other choice was in the hungry one, you just you're going around having fun, and then it goes to shoot out, and there's no pressure on, so you want to win. Uh, the only thing that I had in my head mm. for, for the um, hungry game uh, in the OT and the shootout was that we've we've come that far, we've won this gold medal. I want to finish with uh, our national anthem being played, and that was probably my biggest motivation to make sure that nothing went in in the uh, OT period. And then and then kind of moving on to the France game, because you've obviously alluded to it, what was the the feeling of you being in that net and then finding out that Great Britain are staying up in the tournament for the next year? That's not just a one and done, you're back there again. 
I, I were dead excited because we were going to go to Switzerland. So I think, oh, I love Switzerland. <laughs> We've been to Davos and Bern. It's, it's been amazing. Um, and then obviously that didn't happen because of this stupid virus. But um, no, I mean, everyone's seen the video when it goes in uh, from the uh, from the from the um, stands. Uh, and you see, obviously, Davey fall off the bench. You can see how excited he is. But that's Davey for you. I'm, I'm skating up the ice like I've never skated before in my life, and um, look like I've never been on the ice before. The way that I'm skating, but that's just how excited we all we all were. I mean, in case you were ready for it to be over, and you just wanted to be over. So when it went in, it went off. Uh, you, you couldn't believe it, but at the same time, it was just like ecstasy, really. And uh, yeah, the the atmosphere there. We were playing in Slovakia, but it felt like we we're playing for the for the home team. Uh, it's one of the Best atmospheres I've ever played in. Um, absolutely crazy. And that, yeah, when that goal went in, when when Benny scores that goal, I mean, the, you just think of the, the whole OT period were absolutely nuts. I mean, the you have the first big chance where uh, Stevie kind of blocks the guy, falls on me, and my pad gets ripped off my leg. Uh, so I couldn't move, and the guy's just jamming it. Um, we get around that, and I'm thinking, all right, maybe we'll we'll go down and attack now. It's, it, that's usually how it happens in hockey. It's, you, you get away with a with a big chance or you miss a big chance and all of a sudden they get one off score or something. All right, that's that's it. We've weathered that that one. We'll, we'll go down. We'll, we'll weather this now. We'll, we'll we'll get a chance. And then right off the face off, they get another big chance and there's a big uh, melee in front of the net. I'm stacking the pads. Uh, Oak is flailing around in front of me as well. And yeah, we end up getting that face and thinking, Jesus, come on, that's two now. We need at least... <laughs> we, we need to get out of our zone just just give me a breather and the next minute obviously ben wins that face i've never seen a face off one like that before in my life um john goes down i mean he's old but he's fast um <laughs> oh, john just i mean his legs were going crazy everyone knows what he's like from playing against him in the elite league and yeah i mean to to go from those two chances against us to then winning a face off as clean as that and john doing what he did there and uh the french the second french guy committing to john and leaving ben open and yeah, when when Johnny made that pass, I'm thinking, come on, Ben, just just don't drop past it like that first period. But um, but yeah, so yeah, so when that went and it was just crazy. I mean, you can even see on the like I said about the um, camera angle from the stands where you see Davey fall and me skate like an idiot. Um, but even when it shows you the main camera feed and you, Ben, uh, Richie, and and Johnny don't know who to celebrate with, uh, I think they're <laughs> they're kind of in a bit of disbelief as well. So um, it's all it just sums up British hockey there for you. It's uh. Yeah, no one had a clue what we're actually going on and what we should do. We've uh, we had um, Chris Ellis on a few a few weeks ago, and he couldn't speak highly enough of of the work that that Pete Russell and and his coaching staff had done. And and you alluded to it earlier, not just specifically with with GB, but obviously with with Cardiff as well, with with Todd Kelman and everyone around that, and indeed any team. How much of a difference can the coaching staff? make and how important is it to have the right coach for the team i think it always starts from the top um so even even above the coaching staff i mean in cardiff if you want to harp on about them it starts with the owners i mean the owners are like no owners i've ever met before they're, they're absolutely unbelievable i mean the, the, when i went about going to calgary i mean they, they took me into their homes steve and, and brian both both had me live there i went around to create a few times um and it's, it's just amazing it starts with people just being passionate and then it drops down to todd who's just runs everything like it should be run. Treats you like adults, not like a not like a piece of meat. Um, treats you like proper humans, and yeah, you get you get everything what you need, but uh, but you don't go overboard. And I think that that's the thing. If if you know, basically, it makes it in a way that all you've got to worry about is your, is your performance. You're, you're not worrying about your paycheck. You're not worrying about if 
if your kit's going to arrive, if, you, if your sticks are going to be ready for, for when your batch is broken or anything like that. Or, there's just nothing to worry about in Cardiff. And it's the same with GB. You start with, with Buxy at the top. It's, everything's organised for you. And then mm. you look at the coaching staff. Pete understands it being a Brit. He, he, he gets it because he is British. He's passionate. Um, he's then also got the smarts. Of, he's got the hockey IQ. And then you bring in Corey, who's just like no other coach that I've really come across before. I can't speak highly enough for Corey. Once you kind of get to know him, and get to know his humour and his, his sarcasm and, and the way he is and how socially awkward he is. Uh, you, you learn to love him a little bit um, and then obviously Kiefer's in there he brings that intensity as well and, and Kiefer surprised me a lot uh, to say I'd been coaching that long it, it really surprised me in a good way um, so yeah it starts I mean even you, you start looking at the other teams that started to copy I mean Nottingham brought Deuce in and yeah they, they had a rough mm. start but so did the Devils when Todd and, and Lordo took over we, we had a rough start I mean I can remember Lordo losing his mind in one practice because some drills weren't being done very well and we were down in eighth place and the fans were loving us because we were putting on a show. I mean, back then it was more fighting and stuff, so the, the fans were loving us. But we were still in eighth place. I can remember being staff and being like, what, what are you thinking? Have you not realised you're in eighth place here? And um, that's when we started turning it around again. I think everyone clicked on and thought, oh, he's, he's got a point here. And I mean, yeah, you look at Nottingham, the, the, they bring Deuce in. He starts running it. Obviously, he's had the experience of Cardiff as well, which is, which is priceless for him and priceless for the, the guys in Nottingham as well. Uh, and obviously, they bring Wallace in. Um, so he, he changes that around as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, I think if teams start going down that route and start swinging on, then the elite league's only going to get better and better. And it's the same with GB. You, everything just has to be uh, just just treat your players like humans, just treat them like professionals. Give them what they need to do with the job. Don't be cheap on it. Um, and they'll go out and do a job for you. That that's that's how it should be. Like the the players shouldn't have to worry about money. They shouldn't have to worry about kit. They shouldn't have to worry about get food or anything like that it's like our job is to go on the ice and perform and win games and, and put on a show for the fans and um if if we're having to worry about apartments about sticks about money like it like i just said that that's more things that are going to weigh on people that's more stresses and uh it runs you down your energy levels get lower and, and then you don't perform as well as if you've got nothing else to worry about i i think i think that's a good point because uh um i would imagine not just you personally but you've obviously seen um, through some of your experiences that you've had, whether it be with Hull or whether it be with Cardiff or some of the other teams you've played for, the effect that the outside pressures of, you know, real life, if you want to put it that way, kind of worrying about housing and food and looking after your family and making sure everything's, uh, all your ducks are in a row, essentially. Obviously, fans might see that and think, oh, you know, but like, he's still a professional hockey player. Like, he's getting paid to do this. Like, come on, like, get over it. Like, go on, do your job. Everybody else has to do it with all these problems. But at the same time, like, I don't think a lot of fans, I think you'd be able to um, say this far better than I could, they don't understand how much those pressures have an impact on not just uh, a player's kind of mental state or where they're at, but also if they're worried about those things, it's, it's obviously going to have a direct impact on how they're playing, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, even if it goes back to, to families coming over, like if the, if the apartments have got mold all over, the kids are real, the, the wife's not happy, then the, the player's not going to be happy. And, and you know what? Like hockey should be fun, whether it's a professional job or not. It should be fun because it's a sport at the end of the day. And if you if you want to be good at if you want to play your best at a sport, you have to you have to be happy. You have to you have to have fun. You need to be relaxed. Uh, you can't re- you can't react, especially as a goalie. I can't react if I'm tense. You know what I mean? If if I'm proper 
you can be dialed in, but you have to be relaxed. Your breathing has to be under control. And when you're not 100% focused, you get more tense. You don't react as quick. You don't read the play as good. And all these factors can come into it. And then at the same time, I mean, you hear some of the stories about, look, I'm fortunate enough to never be in, the, to never be in a situation like some of the stories that I've heard. But um, some of them, I, I don't know how they actually stuck it out, to be fair. It's, it's kind of crazy. And that's not just in the elite league. That, that's all over uh, the world with, with the hockey scene, uh, especially in the, the lower level leagues. But uh, I do think that the, maybe the, the state of it's getting to a, a lot better standard worldwide, not not just Britain, not not just uh, yeah, not just Britain. Basically, it's a worldwide thing, and I think the whole the whole thing's getting better. But I think people are waking up. I mean, it, it, when people say, "Well, the professionals are getting paid to do it," I mean, when I was at home at first, I was getting paid like two hundred and fifty pound a week or something, and obviously living in my own house with like paying bills and stuff. So that's it's not a lot to live on, luckily. My parents were awesome. They're only 40 minutes away. And um, if I ever needed anything, they'd, they'd help me out. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you get paid enough, but you, you don't you don't get paid like people think you do uh, until you get to, like, the, the top leagues. Um, it's it's not football, unfortunately, which which would be nice. Uh, unless you get to, like, the SHL or the NHL or, or something like that, then, then, then you don't have much to worry about. But, yeah, it's not like people think it is. Um, it's still a grind. And, the stresses get to you. You're just normal people. I think the the biggest thing um, that I can kind of put it to is that people see you as they don't see you as people because when they come to watch you, you're behind the glass. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of like a zoo. You're not a zoo animal. Like I don't think they see you as a zoo animal. Some people might, <laughs> but uh, do you know what I mean? Like you see something, it's almost like they're, they're not real humans. Like nothing affects them like normal people. But at the end of the day, it's just normal people. It's you. Just walking down the street just like anyone else you you have stresses like anyone else uh you have you have to overcome adversity like anyone else it's it's just one of the biggest things i always coach to to my uh to the goal is when i when i teach them is it's adversity in in life is just like adversity in hockey everyone's the same and some of the battles that you have in hockey set you up for real world life and some of the real world adversity that you face helps you out in hockey so it's uh yes we're not some we're not immune to it we're, we're just normal people just having a job that we that we love. I mean, there's people that are doing other jobs that they absolutely love. So um, it, it's just the same as them, basically. It just means that we don't sit in office. We get to play a sport, and we get we get to do that for a living instead. I think it's interesting what you said. Now, again, with the with the people aspect, because I know when I started watching, they almost kind of feel like celebrities, and you you know you'd never know anything about them. It was only when I started covering the Panthers for the BBC that you chat to the players afterwards, and you go. Uh, yeah, well, he's just got a Nottingham accent and he talks like anybody else. Um, but I know it, it's key what you're saying there with, you know, it's particularly with hockey, it's not football. You're not on £300,000 a week and you can, you can be away like every weekend and it's still a full-time job because you're training. In, if you're not skating, you're in the gym. It, it, you know, it is a normal, you know, a job just like everybody else and you are still paying bills and mortgages exactly the same as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like your, your nine-to-five job um, sitting behind an office or grinding away at a workstation or, or building sites or whatever, unless you're Matthew Myers, obviously, but um, <laughs> we'll be building. But um, no, I mean, you're still, like I said, we, we get Mondays off and, and that's it. Uh, obviously, if you had a tough schedule, they will give you the optional on a Tuesday, but you still have to work out or something and do stuff to recover. But you 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 don't just go to the rink train and, and leave, like you say, you got your workouts, you got to, you got to uh, recover. You got to do your 
uh, your maintenance, your stretching, everything like that. And yeah, that, that's easy. That's that's part of the job, but it still takes hours from you. Uh, if you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you you probably be at the rink for like eight ish and back by two. So like I said, it's not a nine to five. Uh, obviously, you can have longer days, you can have shorter days. As you get close to the game days, they tend to get shorter. The start of the week and especially training camp are long. Uh, some training camps you're doing two a days, so you actually um, you're probably on for about an hour, and then you you're back out again, and then you you're back home and straight to bed, ready to go again the next day. So yeah, it's it's all different. And and like I said, don't get me wrong, it's 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 not a nine to five day. It's not your office grind. It's not your building site grind, but it's still it's still a grind and it's it's still you got to work hard to get get to the level that we play at it's, everyone's professional it's not like the old days where they used to go and get drunk and not work out and the, the drink the night before and then go and play and everyone would love them and now it's you're, you're putting in work all summer you i mean we have maybe two weeks off uh, and then you're straight back in the gym um maybe six weeks off the ice you, you're back on the ice so it's pretty much a year-round thing now not not like it used to be in everyone's professional athletes um which is that's how it should be, in my opinion. You, you're paid to do a job. You you should be ready to do that job. You should be in the best shape that you can be um, and be in the best position to perform that job at your best abilities, really, as, as cheesy as that sounds. And um, just going back to, like, when I said people seeing you as kind of, like, like just animals behind the glass, that don't mean in a, I didn't mean that in an horrible way for those people that might get offended. <laughs> That's just kind of... I know, like, as a kid, when you're saying that you think that the celebrities, I mean, I remember going to Steelers as a kid and... Be like, oh my god, that's Ron Shooter on ice, and then yeah, I get to play exactly. with Billy Bell. I think, you know, that's Ron Shooter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just a weirdo. Uh, I absolutely love them. So, um, no, Ron were awesome, but yeah, but that that's kind of what it is. You're thinking that's Wayne Carley. Oh, that's I mean, Piero Greco over there, or Trevor Robbins used to love and hate Trevor Robbins at the same time. But if I saw him in the street, I'd probably be like, oh my god, like that's Trevor Robbins or whatever. And that that is what people see, but at the end of the day, they're just normal people. So um yes uh, sorry if i offended anyone when i said that but yeah just <laughs> no, no i know exactly what you meant <laughs> i'm sure they'll be all right i'm sure it's not a problem um <laughs> but um you, you alluded to it slightly earlier kind of talking about the changes that have been made especially with a lot of the elite league teams in recent years to kind of make sure the players can focus on the game and not have to worry about other things and kind of the infrastructural changes whether it be from the league perspective or from individual teams where do you see UK hockey going in the next couple of years? Do you see things continuing to trend upwards? Do you think we've kind of hit a point where we're going to need some major changes or something big to happen in order for it to keep trending upwards? Like, because obviously you're now seeing it in Austria for kind of, you're, you're a little bit distanced from it now. So, so do you have a different perspective on it now than say a year or two ago when you were obviously playing for Cardiff? Um, I think it... It's a tough one because it's it's totally different situations. Obviously, here they have TV deals, they have the big league sponsor and stuff like that. Uh, right now, we're, we're playing on zero fans, um, so and that's something that the elite league can't do. So I think if it, if it really wants to to take a step forward, it has to get a, a big TV deal. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year, but they could build up to it. And I think it, I'm sure that they are working actively. I think everyone sits there and thinks, oh, they're, they're not doing anything, but really they are like behind the scenes that I'm sure that they are. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of planning on and and now more than ever, it's, it's time to really go out and get a TV deal. Cause you're thinking, well, you could have all these people watching it that are used to be sat at a game and your TV channel is going to get those ratings. If we, if you were paying for it, I mean, um, I saw a, a stat pop up on my Google feed today from our game against uh, Linz on Sunday and uh, the free network here, I think had something like 70 odd thousand um, views 
people tune in for that game, which is which is a lot. Um, not saying they stuck around for the whole game. I've only been a minute or so, but it's still 75,000 people or whatever it were that, that tuned in. And I'm sure that you could hit some serious numbers in the UK as well, because there's a lot of uh, mm. attention now that hockey's not playing. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's going to have to be something where the teams don't have to depend on the fans as much. Um, but again, like I said, that's a lot easier said than done. Um, it's, it's a lot more political stuff and a lot more business stuff than, than what I know about. Um, so I can't really comment on that thing. But yeah, and then I think club-wise and, and players-wise, I think that it sounds cheesy and people are going to be like, well, it's because you've played for Cardiff. Like, it's, it's bombing Cardiff, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I think people have to start, they have, clubs have to start kind of looking at Cardiff and being like, well, they've done it right. They've not always had the best team. The only year that we had the best team on paper, we dominated and we won the league by February or whatever it was. Um in my opinion anyway. So, um, yeah, so they're obviously doing something right for us to be able to play at that level and that consistency each year. Um, so I think teams now have to start looking at, one, obviously they need to stick within the means. Um, you, the last thing you want to see is any clubs going going bust, but you have to really start looking at how you're treating your players and, and how you're doing and, and then develop the name, um, yeah, develop your brand, develop your name and, and get that reputation built up. And, and that's, I think that's the key thing now going forward. Even if teams maybe have to get some younger players in to start with and pay, like keep the wage bill down, but treat them better. And then eventually you get that reputation that the bigger sponsors come in because they want to be associated with you, just like they did in Cardiff. I mean, my first year, I don't think we had a, a title sponsor um, in Cardiff. And, and I think they took a pretty big hit from it, but the threat is all right. They, they flew us up to Scotland for games and, and stuff like that, but it was in a hotel the night before and that night flew us back the next day and, to give us, like I said, the, the best chance to, to win, put us in a good good position. And I think that's what teams are going to have to start looking rather than um, busting it nine, ten hours on the day of a game and, and then getting you getting there an hour and a half, two hours before a game and expecting your team to win rather than just uh, just show up. Like, going to win. I mean, all the teams over here, they always travel the night before if, if they've got... I mean, the travel here is nothing compared to what it is back in, the, back in Cardiff and some of the Scotland teams, obviously, for them. But um, we we bus everywhere apart from two uh, two places, and they're like five and six hours away. So they go up the night before, they eat on the way, they eat that night, um, they travel back after the game. Obviously, you get fed before and after games, and uh, yeah, it's, I think that's how it's it should be done now. To be fair, it has to be professional. And I think that's that's the way that clubs have to start looking at it and really develop the professional side of it, and then they can start maybe raking in a bit more money. I went on a bit of a rant there. <laughs> it's all right. No worries. <laughs> no, there you go. Elite League teams, you've been told. Uh, just a final um, fan question, and this one from Slapshot Vintage. Do you have a favourite ever jersey? Or any, any I saw league, this one know, actually earlier. So I, I know the Elite League does a lot of kind of... Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, my, my favourite one is um, my jersey from the World Championships last year. Uh, the night jerseys that they, they're really strange. They, they look really like the small and the tiny. You put them on, you pick them up, you think, oh, this is not going to fit very well. And then you put it on, like, this is the best jersey I've ever worn. And the designs are pretty sick, but to wear as well, they're, they're unbelievable. Same with the socks. Um, yeah, just there's something about that jersey. And you, you only ever see night jerseys come out at the top level of the world championship. So they have that like aura about them. And I think, um, yeah, I've got the, I think it was the white one back at home. And that's something that's never going to, Never going to leave me. Well, my parents have it at the minute, but 
as soon as I can, I'll be taking it. And if I'm ever rich enough to have a little man cave, that'll be up on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the the last kind of uh, question I wanted to ask you based on kind of sitting there talking to Chris before uh, we started recording the episode. Obviously, you've been a member of many different locker rooms, whether it be the player personnel in the locker rooms or whether it be, you know, joining Graz 99ers, moving to Team GB, going from Hull to, to Cardiff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what's the kind of personality you have in the locker room? Or what, if we were to ask any of your teammates, what's Ben Bounds like in the locker room? What do you think is the response that we'd get? <laughs> Can't really repeat what they probably would say. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do like to, I like to keep it loose. There's a lot of goalies that are dead serious all the time. And I'm not like that. I, I don't see the point. Um, play, play the unit a bit with Passy Wright and, and so how he was. So kind of thought, well, if he can, be like that and play at the levels that he did then obviously he's doing something right for us for as long as he did so yeah i'm, I'm a bit looser uh, on a game day obviously like you dial it in but it's still it's it, i'm not like one of these goals that'll go and sit in a in a toilet for 45 minutes and pitch black and visualize <laughs> stuff for 45 minutes or not talk to anyone I, I like to sit and chill and and talk to the guys around me uh and then dial it in just be, like obviously going out for one come back in and then i really dial it in uh, and that way it doesn't take as much of a mental toll on you either. I mean, when you're just going 24-7, when your brain's like super serious and you're living, breathing, goaltending and you're analysing footage, analysing games, which I, I did, I was like that at one point. Um, but no, I, I like to keep it loose. I do like to joke about quite a bit and, and tell a few lies and, and get the import screen, although I'm an import now, which is kind of weird. Uh, it's strange <laughs> saying that, I'm not used to it. I feel like more of an Austrian than, uh, than an import. I feel like you got more in common with them. But um, no, I, I haven't really had a chance to really come out of my shell here because I've not been around, I've been around the guys every day, but you still, you, you don't want to get in the way because you, at the start of it, I was hobbling around on crutches with my knee and a brace and whatever. So you're just clumsy and then you're a bit depressed because you've, you've just been injured. But no, I think if um, you talk to the guys back in Cardiff or Hull or, um, or GB, I think that they'd probably, yeah, they'd, they'd have a few choice words, but I think they'd probably allude to me uh, playing a few more pranks and than what they're like <laughs> yeah uh, final question then for from me ben i've got uh just a note written down here i'll expand on it a bit how do you what do you do to kind of unwind yourself from hockey i mean i've got down here that with kind of the expansion to the nhl series with cardiff and stuff you're kind of in that game now so are you are you playing as yourself on on the nhl video games or do you find yourself on the golf course or um, no, I don't. I actually haven't played golf since my second year in Cardiff because none of the Brits down there played it. So I used to play it pretty much weekly with friends in Sheffield. Um, I was never a good golfer. I can't stand it when it's serious. Um, <laughs> I like to have a bit of a laugh. Uh, I'm not good enough to be serious. But um, no, I, I, a lot. some of the guys here, a lot of them actually do do enjoy golf. But for me, it's, it's a case that I'm not a big gamer. Uh, I do have all the games that I'm Part of because that were a dream of me as a kid to uh, a dream of mine as a kid to be on NHL. Um, so obviously, <laughs> the first one come out and I, I bought it. I think I maybe had a year where I didn't, but the last two years, obviously, this year I bought it because uh, I'm not with um, Cardiff and with the European team that's actually on the game. because uh, mm. I believe that the our league's in there, not just the CHL, but no, I think that there are a few games that I've been a part of. I think I've bought pretty much every single one apart from one <laughs> of them. Um, just to say that about him. But no, I think the, the big thing for me, I, I like to get out. Um, so it's it's one of the best things I actually did were uh, let my wife have the dog. So uh, 
everyone knows who follows me on social media and stuff that is a big part of our lives. Um, costing us a bit too much money at the minute because he walked into a tree branch. But, um, but yeah, he's probably one of the biggest ways to obviously wind down. And I'm sure like if you had kids, obviously kids are coming with other stresses as well. But um, yeah, you come home and he doesn't understand that you've had a bad game. He doesn't understand that you've had a bad day at training or mm. whether you've had an amazing game. He's just happy to see you. I mean, he's too lazy to come and actually meet me at the door, but he'll just lay in his bed <laughs> and his bum will be wagging when I get to him. So that's a big de-stress. And um, I think hobby-wise, I'm actually like, really into my photography and videography. Um, so I do enjoy kind of doing stuff. I'm doing the vlogs for Bookstop right now. Um, and that's actually killing a hell of a lot of time while I'm injured, actually. It's bringing stuff out weekly is, is quite hard i mean you're having to think about stuff to do and what stupid stuff to film but uh no it's definitely um that that's killing a lot of time for me it's took it's made the weeks go a hell of a lot faster than probably what they would have without doing these vlogs as a uh, owner of a rescue dog myself and as somebody that is involved in like uh, video creation i can completely agree with everything you just said uh <laughs> it, down to the letter but um kind of the last thing i want to to ask you uh based on the conversation we've had is obviously uh everybody knows you as ben bounds the netminder um i believe you have some other ventures that you're involved in um do you want to just like take a minute to kind of like shout out your other ventures yeah absolutely go for it because i mean like you've taken the time to come on the show and and give us your thoughts about like your career and everything like it's only fair right (laughs) i mean the, the biggest one right now is um coast to coast clothing it's something that I've always wanted to do, uh, but I've never been good with a, with a pen. I've always had ideas in my head, but you put, try and put it to paper and it just looks absolutely nothing like it. I try and draw a logo and it looks like some, like a, a turd or something that I just tried to draw <laughs> as a three-year-old. But um, but yeah, so I'm with two good friends there with Hebs and Stu. Stu's a tattoo artist. Hebs is really into a detail in the business side of things. So it's um, they're, they're um, husband and wife, so they're partners. So that's good. Stu comes up with the, with the creations wheel, giving the ideas. Hebs loves the, the little details and all the package and stuff. So I'm happy to let her do that. Uh, but yeah, that, that's probably my biggest thing right now. That's my biggest uh, kind of time time consumer away from hockey, uh, doing the social media side of things and taking the pictures for them. And uh, yeah, the, the videography and the photography is, uh, I've got two little things with that. And one, I work with Helen Brabant, who people will, will know. Uh, from, she's one of the photographers from Cardiff if, if you follow the photography scene within the within the UK um, and we do that uh, I work with her to shoot weddings uh, whether that's film or, or photograph um, I'm more of the videographer she's a photographer but I'd like to get more into the photography side of things and then there's also um, just doing my own little kind of uh, corporate side of things where I'll do photography and uh, videography for my for my other uh, business which is Iris Media um, I mean some of those videos are a human a bit old when I first started and I look back up now and think, God, they are terrible. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I don't want to take them down because obviously business is Adam and it's cool to see like how you started and compared to what you're doing now. So um, with these vlogs and doing them with stuff, it's uh, it's given me a chance to kind of update my, my YouTube channel with that. But at the same time, it's it's kind of a fine line because I don't want people to to go and watch like the Irish media stuff or the life through the lens because it's me. I want them to obviously like the content that I'm putting out. So the channels aren't, aren't that big and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of a fine line. You want people to view it, but you don't want to view it just because it's you. Um, and it kind of, it's, it's the same with course to course in a way, but that's obviously, a, it's a lot harder to keep a secret. You want people to know it's you and, and why you're doing uh, hockey related stuff as well as non-hockey. Uh, and that's one thing that I really like about is the fact that we don't just, 
do hockey we're not into these big kind of designs of people getting their faces punched in and blood all over you know what i mean it's it's not i don't think that hockey's about that so i like that we do all the the clean designs more like street fashion it's it's cool that we're doing hockey clothing that you can just wear anywhere you want really you can wear it to uh wear it to a restaurant if you're on, on a date probably people won't even know that it's that it's hockey clothing a bit like the gong show stuff like i love their stuff as well so um so yeah that they're probably my three things but like i said the, the clothing one definitely uh that's that's probably the biggest thing right now that's taking up a lot of the time and the the videography and photography is just uh just something that i'm really trying to get into perfect uh chris you don't have anything else to ask no i know it's uh, it's been absolutely fabulous having you on ben thank you so much for yes, taking thank the, you the, so the much. time out particularly um because you're an hour ahead of us as well so it's uh well nearly half past nine for for you it's been fascinating to to hear your stories and i'm sure our uh, listeners and, and the people watching on YouTube from all across Europe and America, some of whom will, of course, remember you from the World Championships, will love hearing them. That's no worries. I mean, you can probably hear the dog snoring in the background, if they can or not. <laughs> no, I honestly I, got bored about an hour ago. <laughs> I think it's all right. I think, I think we've done fine. But yeah, thank you so much, Ben. We really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Uh, no worries. Thanks for having us. So yeah, that was our interview with the one and only great British netminder, Ben Bounds. I don't know about you, Chris, but I had an absolutely incredible time talking to Bouncy and getting the chance to, to talk to him about every single element of his career, whether it be where he is now or his time with Cardiff and the Champions Hockey League. What, what, what do you think people will enjoy the most about this interview that we've just done? I think finding out kind of seeing the player behind the mask mm, because yeah. so other than like national anthem and what have you he's always there in in full pads and and mask on making some quite frankly ridiculous saves yes. <laughs> a lot of the time <laughs> um he, he's made more than uh, more than a few of those um and just kind of finding out so all the the kind of devils fans in particular you know we're, we're, we're sad to see him go yes and uh they'll, they'll be hoping there will be a return at some point um but uh yeah i mean it, it was one of those interviews where i mean we could have easily just sat chatting to ben for about four hours I oh think. yeah <laughs> yeah and, uh you know we kind of had a job to to cut it down we got some fan questions in there as uh as well um so hopefully uh yeah it was a fantastic uh interview thank you very much to uh to ben for for coming on and uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's the best way to put it it's like we can't quite put to words it's like oh my god we just interviewed the starting netminder for team great britain that's helped the team uh get to the position where they're in now and he really put on a, uh, a show in the latest uh world championships in 2019 like we got to talk to that guy for an hour and a half <laughs> or so and kind of just talk to him about his career like what an incredible opportunity and like you said chris a big thank you once again to bounds uh to give us the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with him for a little while. But I think on that note, Chris, this is a really great place to end this week's episode of the Euro Puck Podcast. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. We hope you have enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoyed us bringing on another guest. We know that we've been kind of alternating between guests and more news-related shows, and some people prefer one version, some people prefer the other. But we like to have a bit of variety here. It means that we keep things fresh, we keep things exciting. We're hopefully not going to overload with one side more than the other in the next few weeks. We're kind of going to go back more to to normality with the news and the scores and the standings up until the Chris uh, up until Christmas pretty much and then yeah, kind of and the, yeah, go um, for it. and the well the and the predictions as well I've just very yes. I've literally just remembered I've got to get good idea in. good idea um, so last week uh, again uh, it was a it was a tie at the top 
Um, Stash, Stash and uh, B from Ig or, or Henrik, as we said before, each scoring eight points. So they won the week. Uh, Henrik still uh, holding a four-point lead secured in week one. Don't forget, with four points for a perfect overtime result, it could all change. If you don't already play our predictions game, uh, then make sure you follow us on Twitter and on Instagram, where we post the fixtures that we want you to guess the scores to each week. Exactly. And now that we've actually finally remembered to do all of our housekeeping, now it's a good place to end today's episode <laughs> of the Eurobuck podcast. I mean, it's, it's a good thing we remembered, to be fair. Um, but if you want to keep updated on all things Europuck podcast, uh, or send us your thoughts, opinions, or questions, either from today's show with Bouncy or for our next show when we go more towards the news-related stuff, then you can send us uh, our thoughts uh, at Europuck podcast. Follow us on Twitter, or you can follow our personal Twitters at OddmanRushYT or at Chris underscore Gadsby. Send us your thoughts, opinions, questions, anything you want to send us uh, related to the sport of hockey in Europe. And hopefully, if it's interesting, we'll put it on the show. So yeah, thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you again next time. Have a good one, folks.